those horror movies where um where it's like a group of friends are on Zoom except it's haunted. Yeah, you. Oh, that is. And I'm. That's like. And I'm getting. My... And I'm getting that vibe right now because I <laughs> I clicked the link, and so the Discord shrunk down to a little box in the corner, and it's cycling between Josh and Josiah's faces. Oh. <laughs> like we're. And okay, I'm just like... expecting like it's gonna it's gonna pan over to one of you, and there's gonna be like a creepy nun standing behind you. This is like like unfriended or one of those movies is like what you're thinking yeah. of. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, I don't hate those movies, but I don't love them. Either. There are some pretty good examples of them. Um, there are some better ones. We watched a bad yeah. one recently, Deadware. That was not very good. Mm. Um, yeah, because it was trying to pretend it was like a '90s early computer one, but had no diligence to actually replicate replicate '90s computers at all. So it was like basically a uh, Skype thing happening on a '90s computer, and it's like this couldn't happen. This no, entire story the could not happen. This- did not exist yeah so it just kind of annoyed me and then they would u- throw anachronisms in like people would use modern day slang and it's like on a 90s computer like saying oh he's been ghosting me man and i just was it was driving me insane <laughs> yeah <laughs> right some dumbass is like well this has existed since the beginning of computers right right i'm right. just i'm just imagining like what internet dating would have been like on the first the first internet like the supercomputer, like, you know, tube era, the analog, yeah, yeah. everything takes up like, room and you just have like, uh, yeah. Oh, oh this, oh, the, right. Yeah. The person ghosted me like and a, it's like 1973 uh, and it's two like Lockheed Martin contractors. It's like a ta- typographic, uh, emojis made out of like ASCII symbols. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. This makes me think of the, uh. No, nah, you know what? We shouldn't be getting it. We should talk about the show. Jackal, why don't you why don't you give us our little introduction here? <clears throat> In the world of evangelical Christianity, sexually based offenses are considered not that big of a deal. Dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to The Good Apples, a podcast about Law & Order SVU, the real-life events that inspired the show, and the worldview of the man himself, Dick Wolf. I'm Josiah. I'm Kamara. I'm Josh. And I'm Jackal. And that's the show, folks. Welcome, everybody. And uh, today we are tackling the Duggars. That's right. And uh, Christian evangelicalism. Uh, the alternate title for this episode is uh, Josiah and Josh Go to Therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh both josh and i are, are invested in this uh subject a little bit um you know because of our kind of personal backgrounds with it we are both uh products of the evangelical world and if you are interested in that subject our other podcasts talk about it rather frequently so <laughs> we yeah uh Right, uh, been a bit of a theme uh, for some of your projects uh, in the month of September 2023, huh, Josiah? Yeah, yeah we're going to do a little uh, well, a, a little peek behind the curtain here. This show, we, we like backlogging this show since it's not news related the way a lot of our other shows are. So we're recording this several months. I think this should be coming out probably in November, I think is when this is going to yeah, drop. Yeah. So uh i though am coming off the tail end of we're recording this at the end of september and i did a special 
month of just all evangelicalism themed episodes on fruitless so let me tell you i'm fucking burnt out of this subject (laughs) (laughs) it's uh, right it's just uh primal emotions at this point it is just rage and sadness (laughs) absolutely (laughs) like rage and despair uh (laughs) i think i think that being said, that all being said, though, I think us having just focused on this, like me having focused on it for the last month, and then Josh was uh, a part of two of those fruitless episodes. So we've all been kind. Of, we, him and I have both in, been in this mindset for a while. I think we have some of the like analytic training to tackle the subject now. Like we we did a month yeah. of boot camp for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's all leading to this. Uh, yeah, two months episode. after the fact. Uh, to be clear, we're... none of them were ordered to do this, by the way. They did this of their own volition. <laughs> Doing important work and definitely not like uh, picking at psychological wounds for no good reason. So this episode, yeah, we were talking about a Law & Order SVU did an episode about the Duggars in season, is it 17? Is that is that what we're talking about? Season 17, episode 7. That's the one. Which, uh, by the way, if you're on Hulu, it's episode 6 because they combined the first two episodes of that season into one episode. Don't know why, but that's how you, so yeah, it's it's the one about the Duggars. Um but before we like get into the Law and Order episode proper, we also watched Shiny Happy People, which came out at this point a few June. months back. June, okay, yeah, yeah. So it's it's June kind of, of twenty twenty three. Yeah, June of twenty twenty three, which is is kind of a newer thing. And I wanted to; it was something I wanted to watch through anyway, um, especially because the person who alerted it to me was an old homeschool evangelical friend of mine. Like we both grew up together, and we both did uh, something called Team Pact. That's how I know him. And it comes up in episode four of Shiny Happy People. And so he messaged me out of the blue and was like, yo, you need to watch Shiny Happy People. Like, the thing we grew up in comes up in this, like, explicitly. So uh, I've been looking for an excuse to do it. And uh, here we are now. Let's see, where do we want to start? Yeah, I, I, I guess we, we agreed earlier to uh, go through the documentary first. And then, uh, so yeah, I guess we're going to, you know, talk about the Duggars and evangelicalism and homeschooling through the lens of shiny, happy people. So considering the actual phenomenon, and then uh, we're going to tear this episode of law and order to shreds because it (laughs) fundamentally misunderstands everything about it. I think, I think I'm more sympathetic to the episode, but um, I think we are all have some concerns about the way they chose to end it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, I'm I'm not even as harsh on the episode as I'm kind of playing at because it's just I again because of the way we produce this and and kind of like how I've watched all of this over the past week like you know after this we're reco- recording an episode on like episodes from er- earlier in the show's run and so I'm like I'm just predisposed to dislike it because there's like a very apparent quality drop just on yeah. the terms of filmmaking and craft and yeah. Yeah, yeah, and just like not not a lot of understanding of like yeah stuff I was adjacent to as a young person. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I but as an episode of television, pretty good. It's like, fine. Yeah, it, it's it's still it's still fine. It's still like a good hour of primetime drama. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Just yeah, considering how much I've been thinking about this stuff over the past month or so. I, 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 I got a little mad. 
I got a little yeah. annoyed. And like, this is a thing. Would you believe it? This Law and Order episode, which frames this group as a group that covers up the molestation of a child, um, covers up incest, all sorts of stuff, is still got the fundamental flaw of assuming too good of evangelicalism. That is the yeah, problem. Yeah. <laughs> it still trusts in human goodness a little too much. Uh <laughs> Yeah, and it and it's just like it just reads as just clueless liberal liberalism. Um, yeah, just if we like, just educated the Duggars, it would be fine. Yeah, know? they're just simply too stupid, and they don't know what they're doing. They're not active participants in <laughs> the the portrayal of themselves and their family uh, as a as a media project and um, active participants in a system, which is what I moving into Shiny Happy People really like about Shiny Happy People. I think it is a really good miniseries. And one of the reasons yep. it's it's so good is it does not just stop at, whoa, aren't the Duggars uh, strange? It it looks at the world that created the Duggars, uh, you know, a big focus on Bill Gothard and the Quiverful movement, which we'll, you know, kind of explain later if you're not familiar. Um, but then also like, yeah, the my, Mike Huckabee, uh, you know, like political candidates, the Republican Party donors, like it, it shows how t- entwined it all is. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, this is some conspiracy theory you can believe in. Like these are the real lizard people. These you know? are the real lizard people. Uh, uh, I won't bring that up because of the connotations again, but yeah, I, yeah. I can't quit the lizard people. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, who would like to kind of, I don't know, walk through a brief introduction for the the most like newbie like has never interacted with this stuff before who doesn't know who the Duggars are. Somebody want to explain who the Duggars are? briefly oh christ all right (laughs) okay Okay. so if you are someone who is like me a gen z soy boy you probably didn't grow up watching a lot of reality television the same way that these old relics that i call friends did You didn't know the wonders of watching The Amazing Race growing up. I did not. No, no. Uh, I watched uh, <laughs> cartoons instead, like a uh, like a normal man. Uh, <laughs> but so there was a period of time where the television channel TLC was originally known as the Learning Channel, and in a lot of ways, it still is. But most people know it as TLC. Um, it is called uh, pejoratively the Leering Channel for very obvious reasons. It originally was a venue of showing a lot of boring educational documentaries, which people would put on in classrooms to just have it on. And it didn't really do a lot of numbers in terms of ratings, as you would imagine. So eventually it was traded hands. It eventually ended up in the hands of Discovery, who, uh, as you know, uh, currently is a part of the mega cor- corporation that is known as Warner Discovery as of now. It up in the hands of Discovery, and they wanted to do something with it. And reality television had been a thing for a little bit, championed on via MTV. Now, at this point, the kind of reality television that they were showing on TLC at that time was like medical reality TV about people who wanted cosmetic surgeries or odd deformities to the body that kind of stuff it wasn't the modern era of reality television that would sort of go onward from the show that we're going to talk about now which is uh what was it 
19 kids and counting originally yeah although yeah. The, that's yeah that's the show by the end but what interestingly this does have the medical connection because the original way it started was a series called or not even a series i think it was just a documentary called four, uh, 14 kids and pregnant again or something like that right yes yeah it and, was yeah. a it was a special so it started that, as that one of those the, one of yeah. those yeah it started as one of those medical oddity shows and it was like look at this weird funky family that's like part of this religious cult and they just have a bunch of kids um, and then people just loved them they were so we they were so wholesome they were so and this is something that the documentary goes into is that they presented this idea for a lot of people of an idealized golden past where oh yeah it was you know back in the day there was there was a <clears throat> back in the day there was a strong patriarch who held the family together and watched it there was the mother who in the context of the quiverful ideology the purpose of of the mother is highly highly misogynistic but in this idealized version she's like the 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 emotional core of the family then you have all the children who are the blessings from the lord that's the wholesome image that they very deliberately projected onto the family and the family projected onto the documentary and it just swept audiences away they were in, enraptured by it you had people that idealized them you had people who hated them you had people that just kind of were so perplexed about the idea of having this many children and making it work and it became a, a media sensation at the time it kept going for a long time on tlc it was one of their best rated shows on the network and i think in a lot of ways it it still is and mm -hmm. i don't think that you have modern reality television without this uh without this show yeah. you don't i think that without without this family you don't have modern like reality television as it is now it really started the wave that continued on after it yeah uh josh did you growing up did you have any like what did you have exposure to the duggars like wh what were how were they thought of from <clears throat> your kind of evangelical environment um i don't generally regarded positively like my family wasn't super into it i think we were kind of like uh not not really a reality tv household for the most part so and i, I th for most of its run i'm not sure we really had tlc or access to it um but they were they were talked about and i uh funnily enough uh i think i mostly heard about them in college because uh a friend of mine was really into them. Um, so as, and, and that was more of like, just like, a, so, I mean, we were all, yeah, that was Christian university. And I think we were all, you know, thought we were Christians at the time, but <laughs> mm -hmm. have since, uh, um, God, but I think it was more of like a sociological interest and in just like how the belief system kind of correlated with this. Uh, uh, I don't yeah, she was mostly interested in just like the inner workings of a family like that. Like, yeah, what are the logistics of raising, you know, having that many kids, raising that many kids and mm -hmm. uh, was kind of it. And then just kind of like and then, you know, being kind of where we were uh, in Christian culture at the time, like there was an awareness of the homeschool stuff, but there was a bit of skepticism. It's like. You know, probably, you know, you know, we didn't consider it dangerous, but it was always considered a little weird. 
Yeah. So, and then, um, and then that's like a, that's kind of an interest. So that's like a different environment than like from me coming from yep. the homeschooled world where, so like my parents, thank God thought the quiverful stuff was weird. I, I think I've been, I'm saved from a very yep. much worse childhood uh, because they, they felt that was like a cult. And it was always like being growing up homeschooled. It was always like we lost families to the quiverful movement. It was always like oh, we had man. our friends and then it was like, uh oh, the mom's been googling stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's because I, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't in it, but I had like a, a big brother figure who was who was homeschooled and kind of a little more in in some stuff adjacent. Like he got into like Summit Academy and yeah. Uh, uh, funnily enough, another man uh, named Josh who also has a last name that starts with the C. So it was <laughs> there's a lot of. Yeah. weird like doublings of elements of my name like just the 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 men of my in my cohort that i uh or you know friends of mine that have like yeah. you know some like similar middle last name similar initials i i don't know yeah. i think there's some some very deep stupid cosmic meaning to it all that you know it's my mission in life to figure out um but <laughs> you know this this guy was kind of my exposure to this this whole world and like they were just kind of more um if i had to put a label on it almost like you know early stage rod dryer con- crunchy cons type yeah, stuff because okay, it was yeah. like they were like really into conservative politics they were kind of into um like this guy went to summit academy which was run by this guy david noble who mm-hmm. was kind of a rabid his big thing was anti-communism during the cold war years but it became more of like you know i think he was spreading a lot of like the proto you know cultural marxism buzzwords like it, it yeah. yeah so yeah. it's it's like yeah and um so that kind of came out as these like you know just as we discussed on the fruitless patreon app uh please subscribe today uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> um you know kind of that uh you know just these really dumbass misreadings of like <laughs> cultural theory and postmodernism and yeah. you know all this stuff that I'd go on to study and you know uh would really inform me like I was first exposed to it through these like you know really uh I mean well yeah we know there's like bad intentions behind it um but yeah really weaponized misreadings of of these texts um mm-hmm. so he kind of yeah so he got you know he did all the like apologetic stuff and last time i was in touch with him i mean i think he was he was pursuing a law degree of some sort and um which i'm sure he was going to use for good things uh right i don't yeah. know yeah yeah so but but they were really more into the like just being like straight laced middle class people and that's oh. kind of it so like it was a little tamed out they weren't like super militant about anything but i'm kind of i mean i haven't checked in with the guy since like 2016 so i have no idea where his well, head's that, at a lot of, a lot of people went yeah. off the deep end that way there were a lot of people yeah. people i know who were like pat like there's a a pastor i no adjacently i didn't know him directly but he's just a pretty normal guy who was into church plants and he was at january 6th so um you know a lot of people went crazy in those four years yeah uh but moving away from uh our personal stuff uh, or last thing about my personal stuff was the yeah. thing is the duggers were also because i was homeschooled they you know my parents didn't like the quiverful thing but also there was a degree where it was like well they're kind of the public face of us and so there's a degree that yeah. we do like them because you know, they're, they're our guys, but out there representing us. 
Um, the the so vanguard. The vanguard. <laughs> and, you know, that's kind of a weird ambivalence thing. But um, yeah, but so, so getting deeper into the into the Duggars and their connections to things. I mean, you brought up sort of bringing up Summit Academy and all this stuff like all this starts just connecting. It's really hard to talk about the Duggars alone without getting into all the different weird ties they have to different organizations. The biggest one, of course, being, you know, the various organizations produced by the man, Bill Gothard, who started the Quiverful movement, um, a monstrous piece of shit who is uh, frying in hell. But uh, <laughs> is he dead? Is he dead? Or, or is he I, just like, I hope his uh, life's suffering right now. If he's yeah. Alive. Cause there's, well, you know, kind of, I don't you think, know, sp- I don't think he dies, you know? Right. Uh, anyway. Well, yeah. Sp- Cause like, yeah, the documentary came out earlier and there's like kind of the, the last word you get. I mean, spoilers for the, uh, spoilers. the Duggar documentary, I guess. <laughs> uh, spoilers. Um, but like kind of the last image you get of Bill Gothard is like, he's been, he's been completely sidelined from his own organization and he's just living in his like stupid shitty house, I guess in the Chicagoland area. Cause yeah, he's an Illinois guy. Uh, that's great. Mm-hmm. IBLP's like, I think headquartered in in Chicago. Yeah, or... it's near. It's close to you. It's it's in. It's either. I think it might be. If rural it's in the north Illinois. suburbs, that'll conf- If it's if it's in like the north suburbs or northern Illinois, that like that is additional evidence for my thesis that there is something evil underground in northern Illinois. That's right. It gave uh, us John the Hughes. the people that come out of like the Chicago suburbs are like some of history's greatest monsters or potentially so <laughs> yeah like john um, hughes for instance yeah uh, no. <laughs> a demon actually <laughs> uh has left a permanent scar on american culture uh everyone thinks they ferris bueller okay yeah. i feel like we're i feel like we're losing uh come my chimera and jackal here a little bit we I, should probably yeah, reel sorry this, this one is gonna be uh yeah evangelical inside baseball for sure um anyway so if uh chimera jackal uh talk about the documentary before uh before we keep doing this. we just go off the rails um, here well the uh documentary um kind of shows how the institute for basic life principles the the institute that bill gothard heads up at the beginning of the documentary for quite a while. Um, it kind of shows how it leaves families open for abuse through its ideology. And it kind the documentary uses the Duggar family as an example of how that plays out. Especially because so it played if, out so publicly, you know, it's yeah. like with all the records, you know. And um, what's, what's really interesting about the documentary is um, we get one of the Duggars on the documentary um, Jill Duggar, um, who is the fourth fourth child of the Duggars, one of the older girls, and one of the victims of Josh Duggar's uh, forcible touching that happened whenever they were um, young teenagers. So her and her husband, Derek Dillard, are featured um, speaking on the show, and because of their presence on the show... Um, Jim Bob Duggar had threatened them as well as other members of the family for um, speaking out publicly against the family for kind of putting the family business on blast. Um, He threatened to disown them and to um, remove them from inheritance. So, um, you know, they, they, it, it took a lot of personal sacrifice for some of the people to come on this documentary. Her, her stuff made me so sad. 
I, I, uh, man, I felt so sorry for her. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I, I don't think, I mean, it's a long documentary series, so I don't want to get us caught up in going through every single detail, but yeah. we can um, do kind of a flyover view of everything that took right. place here. But yeah, I guess we could just kind of like zoom in on like the particular themes that kind of come up in the episode. So yeah, um, I think sex I mean, abuse to, specifically. Like, yeah. 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 And kind of, cause on. I mean, that's the, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So we're right. Spe- uh, specifically just, uh, going yeah, through patriarchal the, yeah. sexual abuse. Um, yeah. So how this is like almost purpose built to, uh, to, to do that to yeah. like franchise it basically like uh it's it's it, um man i don't know if it was like uh like a letterboxed review but somebody like i thought a great way that it was kind of explained how iblp functioned is it's like almost a, this um this franchising of like slaveholder patriarchy so you know like you can't control you know, you can't own and control black people's bodies anymore. Who can you control? Your own children, your young people. Because so it's like sexual abuse and slave labor seem to be the one thing it's really good at producing. Yeah, because the big families end up breaking down into like chains of command and stuff. Like it made me think of the way plantations are run. Like I think, yeah, yeah that comparison. Well, and they, not, yeah. they 100% do treat their children as as slave labor. Like they... Mm-hmm. There, you know, Michelle was kind of promoting it as something she's proud of is that she teaches her oldest daughters to take care of the youngest children. So people like Jill and Jessa Duggar spent their whole childhood raising their siblings. Yeah. And so it, it turned into a chain of command. So like the traditional um, like conservative Christian thing is like the umbrella kind of picture you'll sometimes see. But it's like God is over the top. And then right below God is the husband and then right below is the husband is the wife and then right below the wife is the kids. But with the Duggars, uh, since it was such a big family with a lot of quiver quiverful families, it's got more categories under kids. So there's mm-hmm. like first rank kids, second rank kids, essentially, because there's the eldest and then there's the younger ones that the eldest get assigned to as buddies. And so the younger you want a, a, uh, a, a good idea of what this looks like. Um, watch Rome. And you see how, like, Legion, like, the Legionary Command, like, I'm, this is not oh, a joke yeah, yeah. either. They're structuring their family as if it's, like, a military battalion. That's not scary. normal. You shouldn't do that. That's not a, that's not any part of normal human familial function. And it, uh, it, it, would you believe it, encourages sexual abuse within the family unit. Um, as this, as this gets oh, to, but oh, you're telling me that if you set up a a strict hierarchical structure of be- of those whom are 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 above one another, and there is a clear power disparity among that group, and that group has been so under underprivileged and class for most of their life, that there has been untold psychological damage that has resulted in that that has made them more prone to do things that perhaps if they grew up in a normal household, they might not have done so. That's right. Wild. Wild. And like, so like when we're talking about how sex abuse is built into this, I think one of the best examples of this is that Bill Gothard, you know, the, the, the guy whose ideology the Duggars are following ended up getting accused of uh, tons of sex abuse, uh, which is what, you know, by the end of shiny happy people, it ends up focusing on is that he, 
um, likely at least molested, if not full on raped, uh, several 14 year old employees throughout his career. Um, and that's why he eventually got pushed out of the organization, although they still yeah. use his teachings. Crazy. Yep. It was um, it was notably it was 34 women in Jesus that Christ. suit against him. Um, 34 women accused him of of some sort of sexual harassment or molestation or abuse um, during his his time as a leader for the institute. Um, and I just thought it was really interesting that it it took a while before they dis the the institute distanced themselves from Bill Gothard. Is like those rumors were floating around for a while. Um, and he did get in trouble for covering up his brother's sex abuse in the 80s. In the mm-hmm. 80s. Yeah. And nothing came of that. What, uh, Wait, what? I'm so confused by Bill Gothard and how he's... I mean, I, you know, just because I wasn't raised in this kind of environment, I really struggle to completely empathize with um, some of the people in this position. But I don't understand how Bill Gothard was seen as so charismatic. Especially, like, is, yeah. as an espousing of the quiverful movement, which is, like, the idea that you want to have your 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 quiver full of arrows. You want to have as many children as you can, and that makes you stronger as a warrior. And it's, like, he has no children. He's not married. How it's it's like it's like the whole thing with like Hitler. It's like, how did he <laughs> go on about having blonde hair and blue eyes and not be having that? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's how well, are people falling for that? It's, I mean, yeah, it's the divine word of the prophet. You know, he's, he's the guy with the direct connection to the big guy or he's convinced enough people that that's the way it works. And so it's like, uh, I mean, there's, there's always been um, this, right. This, this sense that like, you know, the, the true leaders and prophets are, are called to like sort of a solitary lifestyle. Like there, there is a sense that, I mean, in uh, ingrained and in even there. I mean, it's it's just anti-sex in general. Is like you know, marriage is the compromise that makes like sex the purest thing. Like, which is is so funny because yeah. that's a more Catholic mentality, and so in theory, yeah. the Protestants should be willing to get past that, but it it lingers. It lingers. No, no, and and that just comes out in like the weird differences because like yeah, evangelicals they fucking love birth control and and stuff like that. They just love they all the technologies there's not a lot of you know for all the pro-life stuff there is like a lot of room for the use of like contracept there's not as many like prohibitions on on reproductive stuff as there is in catholic doctrine yeah but there is this like yeah this weird call to personal purity and this vague sense that uh sex is a regrettable thing that we have to do to continue life on earth so the only way to make it you know, the only way to manage its many dangers is to have like this very strict definition of it to the point where like you're the better Christian if you can if you can transcend the need for sex and marriage. Have, and so these are the leaders like if it, like so weirdly enough, like, yeah, he doesn't have the personal experience, be, beca- but because like he has he is not sinned enough to like because of his proximity to God, he is pure enough that he can hand the to, wisdom down he because he's not clouded by lusts yeah. Uh, yeah. when this yeah. is a man operating completely on lusts. <laughs> There's um, so this, this makes me think of um, one of the, my favorite scenes in uh, Monty Python and the meaning of life. Um, if, if anyone's ever seen it, but the, uh, the, 
Every Sperm is Sacred song, which is one of the funniest things that's ever been made. Um, so the, they're, they're making fun of Catholics part. But the funniest part is the part right after it, which is the Protestant part, which doesn't have a song. So it's doing a whole thing where, like, you know, because Catholics can't use, re, you know, uh, uh, contraceptives. It's a whole song that's like, oh, every sperm is sacred. And it's this, like, Catholic family dancing around while just kids are falling out of the cupboards. And there's just, like, hundreds of kids everywhere. And then it pulls into, like you know some some rich protestant couple looking down on the dancing catholics condescendingly and the husband is explaining oh they're they're so silly to his wife he's like you know because we we're protestants we can use uh contraceptives we can use things even for pleasure and she's like wait we can because we've only had sex twice and we have two children and he keeps going on about how we can use things for pleasure. You know, I could get ribbed condoms that'll make you feel good. And she's like getting turned on. And she's like, we should do that. And he's like, we could do that. And just never does it. But he's saying, we're, we're allowed to do this. <laughs> the option exists. The, um, God, yeah. Because like that, I mean, that's perfect. Because like, I mean, what we'll, what we'll get into is like there, there is a hypersexuality that is to evangelicalism like the prohibitions like the whole point is to make very boring stuff seem very exciting and uh this actually is the uh this, this is a segue to this too because i think this is part of how it, it creates the kind of abusive environment because uh bill gothard of course produced a bunch of homeschool material homeschool curriculums and as one of the talking heads put really astutely in shiny happy people there's such an obsession with purity in those like school curriculums like such a like and in and, and the parenting model that bill gothard had like like not letting uh male siblings change female siblings diapers as babies because they will be exposed to seeing a vagina which is like creating a taboo that does not need to exist and will inevitably i think then create a weird allure around yeah. all of it and so like you know the the talking head put the thing of like the the these curriculums essentially look at all the male children and go don't think about your sister's boobs don't think about your sister's boobs don't think about your sister's boobs and what are you gonna do <laughs> if you yeah because it's like it's because <laughs> it's even more forbidden to think about strangers boobs yeah yeah so it's like I mean yeah so every it's all uh <laughs> so in all these households uh just the movie Dogtooth happening over Dog and tooth. over and over again <laughs> or uh, the witch flirt, flirts out or the a little witch, bit of, yeah. of that um that uh that Protestant incest okay. thing Kelly what were you, or Camara what were my, you My 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 favorite what the fuck moment was um when they were describing the older sisters were describing uh what they would do if they saw that a woman was provocatively dressed in public, they would yell out Nike and all the young boys and men would all put their head down and look to the ground. So they didn't have to be tempted by her. And what I was disturbing Chimera about while we watched this together was a lot of this stuff I did not do. And I'm thankful that I didn't, but there, some of the weird, there was a handful of things that I had to pause the show and go, now this happened where I was growing up. And not the literal Nike thing, but the entire sentiment around this, the avert your eyes, bouncing your eyes is usually the yeah. phrase we used. 
Mm, yep yep that's uh that is that was all mm. in my upbringing that the uh the courtship stuff it gets talked about like the getting parents involved with dating thing um i had a relationship end in high school because we weren't technically allowed to be dating and her parents found out and were like if you're not gonna court then you need to break up um i had a whole dramatic thing in high school because i wanted a prom date to the prom like a normal teenage boy and instead of it just being a, a prom date of two homeschooled kids that wouldn't even do an after party thing afterwards. Like there would be no fucking possible. Like, frankly, it's, it couldn't have happened. And I still had to have a conversation with her father about my intentions with her daughter. And then her parents spent several months afterwards, kind of like nagging my parents about when I was going to do something. Cause I didn't talk to her much after prom because again, we just, it was just a prom date. And I was very clear about that. But it was like I had I had proposed to their daughter in their head. You know what I mean? So because say, because right. dating is a possibility you, for the Shazai. Yeah, you uh, <laughs> went to you gave her you went to, you gave I, her I, spiritual blue balls, man. Like <laughs> <laughs> he's she's still waiting. She's still waiting for you, she, Josiah. You're, you're I, arousing I, arousing all those feelings, and you're not even gonna marry her. I, like, I believe the promise of a. Of an awkward kiss and some some fumbling intercourse years in the future, <laughs> um, and you never delivered that, you monster, you in, monster. In in the name of our Lord, I give you my leave. Uh, you can you can leave me to pursue your your I, first true. I, I think she's fine without me. I also believe she's married now, so it's fine. It all worked out. Although, worked. although I think it was a like fat bearded guy that she married. I'd have to double check that. Amazing. So that's that's kind of funny. Did I if I planted a seed, you know? This I is mean, who and you're there's there's now. a well, yeah, and also I mean, it's it's Des Moines, Iowa. Yeah, fat bearded guys. I mean, me. like we got I, a lot I, of us around here. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, sh- there's even more of them in Chicago. Like, we're all fat bearded guys over here. Like, now I don't know. Uh, we all for, look for like listener. Maddie Matheson. Like, it's you know, the bear is huge right now. Like, that's most of the guys in Chicago. <laughs> for the listener, you don't know what Josiah looks like. However, uh, there, if if you take the the broad coupling of the archetype that is both i'm going to ascribe this to both josh and josiah <laughs> there's about a a million clones of each of them in the entirety of the midwest i i there am are a... various versions of both of them that occupy both the rural and urban areas you just like you you take it's like a like a dress up game where you take the basic archetype of Josiah and Josh, and then you just all right. There's Farmer Josiah. Now there's Punk Josh. Now <laughs> yeah. there's now I mean, there's Republican Josh. There's uh, Labor. There's Small Town Democrat Josiah. There's all. These are all just various <laughs> versions of these two. I this is I was like this is literally you can imagine me now because of the archetype I live in. And so like chunky guy longish hair beard i am currently wearing a flannel that is unbuttoned with a graphic t-shirt under it you know this guy <laughs> you've met this guy before i am a look that exists anyway we are emanations of the eternal champion of the midwest yep is there a white guy that you know that either <laughs> is from the midwest or has historical roots tied to the midwest you know one of these people is it? Yeah. They look pretty similar to me. Just is, is is it a? 
returning to the subject though um (laughs) child sexual abuse and fundamentalist evangelical christianity right the the main thing so like okay let's go over the details now of the most i think important aspect of the story which is josh duggar the eldest right yes um the eldest uh the series of accusations go that let's see in the uh between the ages of 12 and 15 he uh, had a re- repeated mo- repeatedly molested his younger sisters. Um, the family made, was made aware of this and supposedly dealt with it. Um, and by that, they mean they sent him off to like a rehabilitation camp for like a month and then brought him back for a photo shoot. This was while the show was getting launched. And so they were trying to cover up this stuff happening while the show was starting. So from the beginning, this was going on. Um, oh yeah, right. No, yeah, rehabilitation, forced labor camp, mm-hmm. which <laughs> he then didn't. He got out of completely. But yeah, even then, it's like, with, what, do you really uh, with, think yeah. that's going to fix it? Right. Know? Okay. Yeah, like, forced forced labor with other, you know, air quotes, troubled young boys from fundamentalist evangelical families. Uh, what were they talking about? Who knows? Because I mean. Th- like knows, I want to hear what the like the bunk room chatter at night was probably. Do you really? Do you really want to hear what they were talking about? Yeah, do that, you okay, really that want? Was the wrong. That, yeah, that's the wrong phrase. Uh, because yeah, I am. I am terrified just trying to imagine the atmosphere well, in that room. It would have to be a weird atmosphere because being a troubled fundamentalist could mean two different things. Because everything's getting treated at the same level. It could either be that they Good are, point. yes, molesting their their, uh, their their sisters or something like that. And they're just like getting sent off because that's the trouble. Or it could be like they caught him sneaking a beer. And so there yeah. might be a bunch of just like really normal teenagers stuck with like a guy that raped his sister. And they just like all. And they're just in there. Oh, my God. So I also very, want to give you a fun a fun fact. Um, Madison Cawthorn was a uh, <laughs> a, a former that. member of yeah. of, uh, of this camp, and he's oh. never had any accusations of sexual misconduct, right? He's, Absolutely he's totally, not. Yeah, no. he's he's totally. Oh my god! I just like, the whole like again going going back to like you know jokingly saying it's conspiracy you can believe in, but I mean it's like the Joshua generation, the 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 youth action like. They have they have paramilitaries full of young men. They're training up an entire political class that has one elected seats. Madison Cawthorn being one of them, uh, you know, and the entire goal getting Supreme Court justices. That's the thing in this circle. They recognize that like the the short circuit like end run cheat code to influencing politics in this country is getting guys you agree with on the Supreme Court. Yeah, and, and and Supreme Court. That's what and, they organize and Congress, everything, around. everything. Yeah, because it's about grabbing. We're living. Power. We're, we're and it's so, living in a world they created. It's it's and up, it's so man. wild for me because yet so one of those organizations that was designed to do that was Teen Pact, a thing I did. I know parliamentary procedure because of this, because I was getting trained. I did not realize until now, like in the last few you know years, was getting trained to be a conservative political figure. Um, but funny, you know, you could have been writing for, for, uh, you could have been writing for the daily wire right now. Just uh, I, I could have been an opportunity that you could have had or something. Yeah. There is, there is a world where I'm a video producer for the blaze or some shit. Like, you know, like there, cause like, just made the side of the cross. Like this is, you know, like, I I don't know yet. I'm dealing with. I got offered a position to write conservative listicles when I was like 18. And I thought that sounds really stupid. 
I was I, I was like a libertarian at the time, but I was still like, that sounds like the worst bit of writing job I could possibly do. But had I done that, I mean, the person who yeah. told me that they were doing it and that I should do it ended up writing for Reason Magazine and stuff. So, yeah. I mean, I could have so, done that. <laughs> this is this is how righteous we are. We gave like me and Josiah had had enough like I mean I never I never got close to an offer because like I, I I've had like executive dysfunction my whole fucking life but like right you know there's like I was proximate <laughs> enough to these to this infrastructure that had I applied myself had I continued to believe a certain way had I taken advantage of the connections I had access to like there is a whole media environment where like yeah, I had something like a career doing production or writing or something mm-hmm. for any of these outlets. Uh, but now we do a podcast about Law and Order SVU, so you win yeah. some, you lose some. But <laughs> should we? Uh, should should we kind of go briefly into detail about the ideology behind um, this quiverful? At least, like like a basic yeah. rundown of it. Because yeah. the doc does go into detail about it quite yeah. a bit, so we don't have to cover the whole thing. But I think it's especially useful kind of knowing, and it's going to be a part of, at least I know a part of my thesis statement for this episode going forward, about how they kind of fundamentally misunderstand some key aspects about sure. L- this let's family. Do... I think it's important to, to, yeah, oh, to understand yeah, yeah, sure. the ideology sure. backing that. Let's do the ideology, and then we'll finish up with where jo- like the rest of the Josh Duggar saga, and then we'll go to the Law and Order episode. Does that sound good? Yeah. Does that seem like a good way to do that? Because yeah. we'll keep talking about shiny happy people through the Law and Order episode. I think so. Oh yeah, it's it'll all, come back. It's it's all a cosmic gumbo. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, Cut that Jackal. Out. Did That's... did you want to tell us all about the Quiverfuls, the the wonderful folks? <laughs> oh boy, howdy! I would like to. So the Quiverful movement, as they call themselves, are totally not a cult. Nope. They are uh, a. I will be charitable and say they are a socio-political theological position within fundamentalist evangelical Christianity mm-hmm. that believes that a family is a blessing from God. That sounds pretty normal so far. You you can if you come from a religious background, you can kind of kind of understand that that world even from a secular background if you're you're coming from you can family my people, my kids are a blessing people, from god yeah. yeah 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 most people would would agree with that now they are pro natalist most well-adjusted people are like yeah if you want to have kids you you could have kids that's normal they take a position that they abstain from all form of family planning uh birth control sterilization anything having to do with that they specifically believe that they take i forget which bible quote it is they you know completely misunderstand the context it's it's a it's one in it's one in proverbs which is i think this is like a pet peeve i have with a lot of evangelicalism it's like proverbs i it's like just a list of fucking like sayings they're not like things to build a theology off of but it's not prophecy they're not prophecy they're not (laughs) They're just a list of sayings that the ancient Israelites had. That's and all so that like is. One, anyway. one of them, one of them being here it is, uh, one one twenty seven three through five. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Now, this is of course talking about a monarch wanting to have lots of nice, cool kids. 
It is just a not. It is just a saying for a very specific moment in a very specific political context. Um, however, but the the you, you can see has, some shit there taken, going on with your opponents in court is like, you know, <laughs> they have taken the entire world is the opponents in court. That that is fundamentally the worldview that quir- the quiverful movement views. And you have other adjacent fundamentalist evangelical Christian sort of viewpoints that come along with this. Where they view that there is a a spiritual war going on between the chosen of God and the dirty Babylonian outside world. And what they need Mm. to do, in the case of the Quiverful movement, they believe that all of these children that they're having uh, constantly, specifically the boys, because they, the Quiverful movement... If you can, uh, you know, I, it's going to come as a, as a bit of a shock. I know that uh, <laughs> that a, 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 an ideology that fundamentally views human beings as just facets to a weird spiritual war are uh, just machines to make more boys and to make more machines that make more boys. That's essentially the gender dynamics that they view. Mm-hmm. God, Every uh... boy in the Quiverful movement is a soldier of God. They are soldiers that can be pop- plopped into political positions to further drive their underlying goals and desires uh so just just a quick note and a stupid joke and then we can move on um yeah so i i I just want to go back to like i i think i just came up with this it dawned on me that like this kind of is a vanguard of a certain stripe of christianity Mm -hmm. like you know i think the whole thing is like you know just i was a little more proximate to it i was a little further downstream and had had one foot kind of in uh secular society um a little bit more than some other folks did but yeah i mean it's like this is the most extreme form of it but a lot of these ideas still filter down into like you know my very kind of middle of the road evangelical free church in malacca minnesota yeah you know there so so that's all to say like okay so the vanguard was really interested in training child soldiers like well no wonder i was super into halo in middle school yeah but i mean yeah like (laughs) no wonder i I sympathized on a deep emotional level with the master chief yeah when you're (laughs) talking that's so funny because you feel like a fucking alien you know you know every like (laughs) you know no woman wants anything to do with you and you just have like a fictional lady in your head Incredible. I was a weeb in denial. Yes. I I like the Vanguard comparison a lot too because I I don't it's not inaccurate. Like literally in the like the leninist sense of Vanguard, right? Like, like this, they're, they're the pro- devote right, revolutionary propaganda at a very high level. They're on but, like they were a hit show on a major cable network like producing propaganda for this lifestyle. You know, like I would for this say project and then what I would say with your upbringing is like if the comparison is to Russia in during the revolution, right, it would be like Josh would just be a run of the mill socialist who's probably trick got ideas that are trickling down from the Bolsheviks. I grew up a Menshevik closer, but not quite there. <laughs> but I knew Bolsheviks. And so, like, you know, you see what I'm saying? Like, that's the socialist version of this. But like, that's that's the relationship kind of that we have. We're like. You know, the ideas of the Vanguard trickle down to the run of the mill folks as well. Yeah. Um, My proximity to evangelicalism is that I had a white friend who was an evangelical (laughs) growing up. (laughs) And she took me to her church one time 
and it was wacky. Yeah. <laughs> it Ooh, was it's scary. weird, they, isn't it? They they sectioned off the children, which I thought was so weird because like oh, yeah. as a good Catholic, you're supposed to be like a well-beaten child that doesn't cry in church. <laughs> but evangelicals haven't accepted that children can't be disruptive, so they just separate them off. And yep, they yep. had us they had us in a basement with like a youth pasture and um we played um what is that fucking game where you have to draw a picture of something and the other team has to guess what it is it's like charades but with pictures yeah yeah um and we played yeah yeah, we played pictionary in a basement of a church after doing like some weird weird like chanting and singing shit um (laughs) but um we did that and then we played pictionary with the story of cain and abel that's awesome so, amazing so uh that was the f- the first and last time i ever went to a white people church as it as it should be as it should be <laughs> anyway uh, I, the, the point to elaborate on this wild i'm gonna be kind again and say philosophy on life <laughs> Is that it informs a tremendous amount on the Duggar story, this group on its own. When you know the context behind why was Josh Duggar so defended by his family? Why was there so much infrastructure there to protect him? It's both because he is the eldest and he was the the, the idealized breadwinner for the family's future. He was being... And I, I say He's, this somewhat um, aware of the connotations of the word, but to say he was groomed for a position of power. But I, I say that both as a joke and he was. He no, yeah, he's he's being groomed as Jim Bob's heir. He's he's going to be t- he'll take over. He is the next patriarch of the Duggar family uh, after after Jim Bob's out of the picture, or you know mm-hmm. become you know you know, has inevitably has some medical emergency that makes him physically incapable of carrying out his fatherly duties, then it is the time when Josh will step into position and lead the family into the future. Mm -hmm. Jim Bob is, is at that time, I think just before then, was it Jim Bob running, running, was it Jim Bob running for Arkansas state Senate? Um, yeah. Concurrent concurrently with the, uh, the child pornography trial. Yes. Yes. Insane. How bold. Yeah, he was campaigning through insane. it. He just, he just posted through it, bro. Uh, oh, sh- should we get into that since we just threw that out there? The Josh, yeah, the rest yeah, of the Josh saga. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't even got. I thought, yeah, so the rest no, of the Josh no, saga. We haven't even got a lot order episode. The entire point, yeah. <laughs> the Josh Duggar saga. So as we mentioned, he got sent off to a little camp for, you know, molesting <laughs> his, his daughters. Or not, excuse me, his uh, 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 sisters. sisters. But... You know, this didn't end it because of course, because of course it didn't. That wasn't sufficient of dealing with this problem or nipping it in the bud. It just, uh, you know, he got a smack on the wrist. It got worse because, like, for instance, he, you know, was courting uh, another young woman who essentially the parents used as a carrot and a stick to kind of guide him away from molesting his sisters by being like, look, you're going to get to have sex if you like you know do this if you follow through if you, if you stop, stop if you stop groping your sisters we'll let you have sex with this one in a few years with this, with this one it's not related to you so it's okay uh another hey 
Don't worry. She looks exactly like your sister's. Another dog tooth comparison, by the way. The the women they're hiring and bringing in to fuck the older brother. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Anyway. uh, I I love that that's like kind of like a... I I haven't seen the movie in a while, but yeah, it's like a secularized... version portrayal of, exactly of, this, yeah. of the family dynamic of a fundamentalist family like that yeah incredibly upsetting movie but if you have the stomach yeah. for it i cannot recommend yorgos lanthimos's uh dog tooth enough it is a very really yeah good movie. maybe yeah work your work your way backwards through his filmography like if you can kind if you can get through the lobster like you can probably get through dog too yeah so yeah watch the lobster and then be like okay what if it was incest and there's some unsimulated sex in it and then that's what you need to be prepared for well, with dog well uh <laughs> i i mean uh content warning for the lobster there is some pretty upsetting animal harm like not yeah, authentic yes. but uh, no no fake there is yeah it, uh so that's also I know. a dog tooth, I, I know though. there that's are, also are many <laughs> many many people who will find that on the face more upsetting than the incest stuff in Dog Tooth. No, there, um, I am animal, one of those people. Yeah, I there, am absolutely one of those people. There's animal, there's animal harm in Dog Tooth too. Though. Oh, so that's it still right. works because there's the cat. As, yeah, as I've, oh. it's been a long. I blocked that out. I'm sure it's been a long time since. That's <laughs> another incredibly upsetting. Anyway, Yorgos Lanthimos, great director, incredibly upsetting movies though. Um, but but uh, as we're seeing, on. like dealing with real shit, in in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, all, In a all literary of his movies, mode, but, yeah. all of his movies, I think back frequently on, they become like touch points of me thinking about psychoanalytic problems in our culture. But anyway, so yeah, so eventually Josh Duggar got married um, to the, the, to the carrot. <laughs> no, is... no, he didn't. He, oh, he did. no, those parents, they pulled out. It was, um, that's right. It was someone else. That he got yeah. They, to. cause that's they right. stuck up for their daughter. They were like, oh, no, you're yeah. not going to use her as a carrot. And oh, they, yeah, were, right, like, they Jim were like, Bob, we don't want nothing Jim to do Bob with y'all slipped. anymore. Jim Bob yes. slipped and told mm-hmm. the parents that that's what was going on. And they were like, that no was way. The, the Holt family. That's right. That's yeah. right. Um, they, and uh, they, they were like, no. So it was another family that they, um, another girl that they that he married anna if i'm remembering the doc right the holt family were old family the holts come off really well in the documentary but i'm still suspicious of them i'm still suspicious of them too evangelical they are they (laughs) well in in terms of their politics it's probably pretty bad but you know what uh they if you compare them with the duckers man they come off as real normal people i will say they the holts were the ones telling jim bob like he needed to take his uh his uh, son to you know to like give you know do something legal to take care of it. He was saying all that stuff, but I will also say, I mean, he let a show run and never spoke out about this family. So if you want something to be critical of the Holtz for, I think it's pretty easy to still point oh, that out yeah. that they they did also just let the public persona of this family keep going and just keep out of it. Um, while they were aware that Josh Josh had molested his sisters and numerous other things, but they did testify against eventually... Josh later. So, yeah, they did. They did testify against him in court. So, and they were let's... one of the few people close to the family that was willing to do so. So, so that was, it was notable. While Josh was an adult, is when then the story of him molesting his sisters as a as a teenager came out. Um, Because that was happening at the beginning of the show, but it never got, it didn't come out publicly until way later on. So then that was when the first 
wave of crises happen. This is also when we get the uh, lovely op-ed from Matt Walsh explaining how actually Josh is fine and it's totally cool that he molested his sisters. Uh, go check that out. Even though he's oh. recanted it, I think it's really insightful into Matt's <laughs> Matt's worldview. I, I think uh, more people should know. I, I think that I, I speak for all of us, really, when we say that people... When they think of Matt Walsh, you should think of him as the guy who defended Josh Duggar. I think so. Maybe the first thing that enters into your mind is that Matt Walsh very publicly and very adamantly defended Josh Duggar. I think every time you do it, you should, every time you see something Matt Walsh has to say about trans people grooming children, supposedly, or him getting mad about sex abuse, supposedly, among the left all the time, the first thing you should know is that he wrote an, a notorious op-ed defending Josh Duggar when the molestation accusations come out. And then you should watch his video of him getting really mad at a children's book about consent and saying that he doesn't ask for his children's consent and his kids shouldn't have a concept of consent. See those first, and then whenever he talks about it, you will completely write off anything he has to say about drag queens. Like, automatically, you know, <laughs> he does not give a shit about this. He, he is not actually concerned about sex abuse at all. So, but anyway, so all that came out. Um, and again, there was a public culture war argument about Josh Duggar um, for a while. And then... But, you know, there was a way of, like, getting around this and being like, well, this is the past. Josh is an adult now. Whatever. This was how people were able to justify it. However, then the FBI raids happened. Or, excuse me, it wasn't FBI. It was uh, Homeland Security raids. Um, (laughs) Worse than that. Um, Worst, yeah, worst government investigative body. Uh, Just trashed here. Uh, Oh, man. So Homeland Security raided uh, Josh Duggar's home because they linked but, a bunch <laughs> of downloads of child pornography to Josh Duggar's IP address. Oh well, it wasn't. It wasn't his home. It was his car selling business. His job. That's right. Which is jobs. I which the is work more. Computer. Which is more fucking weird. What? Uh, who? I think who? I, I, uh, who gets all I, ready? Ties their tie goes in for a day of work and then just looks up child porn on their work computer. Josh Duggar. Good Lord. Well, okay. And here's another thing I want to throw out here too, is like, I think that the tech savviness that Josh has to be able to figure out how to do that, to even find stuff on the deep web or whatever. Yes, um, because he, well, he had accountability software. There, this is what I was getting at. So I, I, so it mentioned Covenant Eyes in passing. This was another one of those things that I got to give a pause and shot Chimera by talking about my upbringing. Uh, (laughs) I had a computer with Covenant Eyes on it as well that supposedly blocked out porn. Now, uh, did that keep me from figuring out how to find porn on the World Wide Web? Absolutely not. I was a horny teenager and there were lots of things. However, I think there's a degree of tech savviness that I have <laughs> from learning how to work around I, accountability softwares that were downloaded on my computer. And so I, I'm i not saying, like, this is just one of many things, but, like, there's a degree in which, like, I think him learning how to, like, bypass, eventually learning how to bypass, like, the kinds of blocks and stuff that, like, the covenant eyes that is over the entire U.S., <laughs> that is like preventing illegal transactions and shit like that on the on the dark web um him learning how to get around that probably came from the fact that he at a young age was learning how to get around accountability softwares rather than just i guess just but having the I, normal I think, young I think boy what, experience the, of just seeing the shit the perplexity that that uh that chimera has that i think i also have yes is 
okay, you have this this tech savviness, and you decide to do this at a place of business that you own and has yeah. limited employees, and you are one of the key employees who is there the most. And do you see where there is a there's a despair? I I think it's because he was brazen enough to think he's not going to get caught. That's yeah, that's kind of I what think my that's yeah. also well, important. Yeah, I think he he I think he was probably more worried about uh like his family finding out on the on the home computer mm-hmm. or something like and then he was about i don't know like yeah. i uh man am i because <laughs> like at my high school there was a there was a teacher who was disciplined uh for looking at porn on his work computer like because he had an office he could like shut the door uh, like a little he had he had access to a space that just not a lot of teachers had mm-hmm. um, and also extra funny because his wife was the school librarian um so there is just a whole i don't know so there's like there's a certain level of i mean and i guess using that example is just authority figures in general but like you're you're high up at this business you control i mean there's also plenty of like evangelical businessmen operating in my hometown you know you have you have a lot of access to stuff that a lot of people don't and you get to feel like very patriarchal and in charge of all of this stuff uh mm-hmm. on this like very small scale i mean um so yeah in a way i bet he just felt more comfortable being himself at the business rather than in the home mm-hmm. which is a much more feminized space yeah yeah i i think that's totally i think that's to, totally yeah to now, that be, that being said, armchair psychoanalysis no it's it's that's totally to a do. But that being said, like all this, like talking about his tech savviness and ability, but also his stupidity, you know, all this combined, none of this explains the actual act of the, the actually, you know, wanting to find child porn that's produced out of the environment. Right. Cause like, again, I, I like, I just referenced, I had covenant eyes. I learned tech savviness, but I don't have a fucking desire to search this stuff out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, you have right. to have the want. And that's a that's a whole other can of worms well, I mean, that that ends up I, with, you know. I think in a sense we've already covered it. Like, I mean, he was the eldest son. He is the he is the captain of the kids. He is at abs. He like he has mm-hmm. an umbrella of authority. He has had, you know, besides he, it's it's Jim Bob, it's Michelle, it's Josh. Mm-hmm. Like that's the authority structure. He had control over all of his siblings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then combine that again age. with the, uh, and then combine that with the with the uh, uh, curriculum going. Don't look at your sister's boobs. Don't look at your right. sister's boobs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like it's this creation of taboos, giving him a position of authority without any restraint or oversight. Ultimately, like because yeah, there's this there's this weird franchising operation even within the family. It's like right there, you know, Jim, Bob, and Michelle get to portray themselves as these like super parents, but they're like they're delegating. What are the, the, they're just they're just doing their own shit. <laughs> It seems like, you know, um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So you can, comp- right. You, you, uh, just by the demands of their belief system. Okay. You, you invest this eldest child with all of, all, you know, the, the dreams of the family itself of the family name, uh, you, you put them in this repressive psychological apparatus, you know, the evangel hyper evangelical belief system, uh, but then also give him unrestrained authority over vul- vulnerable children. Nothing bad could possibly happen if you combine and and all also those and and an, you know absolutely not right you know and an abs- you know and he's 
instilled this sense of like you know absolute obedience to the authority above him so absolute doubt he can never he can never question jim bob or michelle but every sibling can't second you know can't can't say shit to him can't question him so how yeah wonder so outwardly he appears obedient outwardly he he acquiesces to everything jim bob and michelle say but like obviously in his private moments like how is he treating his siblings and so Clear that I think not particularly well. Yeah, now, not particularly well. Now, guess what? Did you know that this is a podcast about Law and Order SVU? <laughs> what the fuck? Whoa! So I think what? that's enough. I think that's a. I think an hour of backstory here is enough to to get us to move here to the actual SVU episode. Now, I think I think we got. So this is what we we've laid out as best we can, as quickly as we can, what actually happened. So now let's look at the TV way of handling it the the fantasy that the good apples is right (laughs) that or that 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 that, you know law and order is is that good apple thesis right of trying to kind of resolve things that are uncomfortable in the news so we talked about last episode unfortunately without jackal but we talked about the boston strangler case and how so much of it was devoted to or so many of the episodes that kind of talked about the boston strangler case were devoted to what if the cops actually handled this well or even what if this new generation of cops is going to resolve the stuff that previous generations fucked up? This episode does a pretty good job for a good chunk of it at giving kind of what happened more or less with it, you know, having its fictional flourishes or whatever, some, some detours, some, some, uh, you know, red herrings, but ultimately, you know, it, it gets the basics of what happened down pretty well um, in a like slightly more soap opera way of delivering it. But it still ends up playing into a fantasy of helping us kind of resolve as, you know, nice liberal viewers of the show our strange feelings about this poor family, the Duggars. So let's go through it. And we'll uh, we'll, that thesis, I think, will come out really nicely as we go through the plot of the episode. Well, Uh, we we open up um, with a scene of a little girl um, with her father making a pledge to him of purity. And um, there's kind of a discussion about how the father needs to protect her innocence and her purity. And that's what he's here to do. Um, And that the girls just need to save themselves for marriage. And that um, the love and acceptance has to come from the father. Um, Otherwise, they'll, you know, the girls will seek it from other men. So there is just like all of this kind of... uh, whoa stuff right in the beginning of the episode um and this girl is at her purity ball and is is um has what looks like i honestly looks like a marriage ceremony to her father um it's like really uncomfortable um and and that's what we're opening up to is a scene of a girl at about 13 years old um, getting all dressed up for the ceremony to pledge her purity to her father. Um, so it's really, really uncomfortable start to the show. I, I like this as a start, by the way, though, because it does quickly go, okay, here's the Duggars for you. Like, it, it does kind of... Um, and the purity balls do not get talked about very much in Shiny Happy People. It covers purity culture more broadly, well, but not those specifically. Yeah. So I, I quickly found a, a little ABC... Uh, like uh, special about it at one point that I'll put in the show notes if you're interested. That's like ten minutes long. 
Yeah, there. I, I think like the BBC, like Louis Thoreau or BBC. I think they did a lot of like you know gawking at the fundies type documentaries too. So, uh, I I think like especially like the more publicly weird shit like purity balls and like the Westboro Baptist Church like have enough material on them already that I think it makes sense that shiny pappy people didn't really need to like focus on. But yeah, as uh in the context of law and order just diving straight into the most like weird aspect of this subculture uh good choice good choice. narratively but of course this purity ball ends in tragedy as the uh the young girl um is getting spun around by her father and she collapses and everyone rushes over like oh no what's happened and then it shows um her at the hospital um, with the detectives, and it turns out that she is three months pregnant. Mm-hmm. And this is like what she's like 13, 14. She's 13 years old, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, this is, of course, the fictionalized, you know, the, the side of it that Law and Order is making yeah. it a different story, so you don't know what's going to happen necessarily. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They kind of lampshade it because they have, they have, uh, they have them name drop the Duggars and then just to make it sure. No, we are not talking about the Duggars. These are our fake Duggars for the story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we still, this is still in the real world. The Duggars also exist. The, uh, a common film that most people have seen. Kevin Smith's red state does a similar thing with the Westboro Baptist church and the like, yeah. you know, it's like, Oh, it's not about it, but it's about it. You know, yeah. Kinda. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I kind of get that just so that people aren't, you know, going like, well, wait a second. None of the, the Duggars daughters got pregnant. You're you're maligning them. You know, it's able to like kind of dodge that a little bit. Yeah, like, those okay, those people are, are slavishly uh, uh, listening to our show. Uh, well, no, I don't mean I don't care about us. I, I mean, <laughs> for that, for the show, for Law, <laughs> Law and Order is trying to be a general audience. So they probably True. are trying yeah. to dodge that kind of uh, annoying criticism. But. Yeah, so they named drop the Duggars because uh, uh, Rollins, that detective, is obsessed with reality TV. And so she's investigating and she's pregnant. So she's on a uh, desk desk duty. So she's, um, you know, kind of like obsessively uh, researching the show by just watching the whole Duggar stand in <laughs> show. Baker's Dozen, I think, is what they call their version of the show. Yeah. Yeah, because they have um, 13 kids and the, the B is the 13 numeral smushed yeah, together yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay like the graphic design department had a lot of fun with this episode i think i think so i think so because they were like trying to recreate trashy tlc shows and they yeah. i think they did pretty okay, okay job so with this that. is this is turning me around on the overall like soap opera aesthetic of latter day law and order yeah i i didn't mind it i think so like okay like cards on the table i, I think i said this already and i don't remember if i said this on mic yet or not but for researching this episode and the episode that's going to come out for you guys for two weeks for us in two hours we're going to record it um i just i had like a man i love this show kind of weekend i've just i watched way more than i needed to even i watched the episodes before and after most of the episodes we talk about the episode before this one is also pretty good and so i think that's why i wasn't too i i wasn't as disgusted by the style of and the look of this like later season episode uh, cause the one before it is, is got some good classic Rollins family is crazy stuff. That was really entertaining. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, cause that's, that's actually one of my favorite late series arcs is Rollins is got just this like, 
like her her sister sister is like a, a kleptomaniac and, and and constantly getting in legal trouble and that she's always kind of trying to cover up for him and then the mom doesn't understand why rollins is you know like arresting her sister it's like why would you do that even though it's like, well, I don't know, Bob. She stole a fifty thousand dollar flute in the previous episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very funny. I, I'm very entertained by that. Okay, o- okay. So there, it there. Okay, so there is an appeal to be sold for the latter seasons of Law yes, Order yes. SVU. Okay. Before it gets completely unhinged, which is after the 2020 protests, I think is when it becomes irredeemably bad. Okay, which I, that'll be a future episode. I yeah I have not seen any post twenty twenty Law and Order yet, uh, so now I'm a little excited. Uh, yeah, to, uh, the the politics get wit- so much more to to witness the de- the degeneration. <laughs> yeah, um, but anyway, yeah. So so yeah. Well, so they yeah go, let's yeah continue with the episode here. The parents, you know, do their best to keep the detectives away from the daughter. Um, they don't want the daughter to talk to the police, and they're like, this can't happen, our children aren't allowed to date. Um, they, they believe in the courtship system too, and they're like, yeah, no, this can't be happening, our daughter can't be pregnant, um, but I guess she is, and she's too emotional right now, so, uh, police, you know, skedaddle. Um, they, uh, just, just to interject briefly, they, like, they all but have our, our main cast, like, just doing Jim from the office look at the camera, like, can you believe this shit every time they, like, <laughs> explain a new facet of the belief system? Like, that's kind of, I do love the kind of, like, gawking tone of the entire first half. It's just like, can you get a load of this shit? <laughs> uh, continue, Kelly, sorry. Camara, sorry um yeah so they you know are doing some detective work and some some legal discussion they're like you know we've got a pregnant 13 year old on our hands but she's just visiting the city so they're like you know they don't know that she that the the crime of her being impregnated happened in the city um but they do some detective work um have Rollins is, you know, binge watching the the Baker's dozen show back at the station because she's, you know, on on pregnant desk duty, and she learns that um, that the girl Lane had been in New York City just three months prior on mission work, and um, so they're like, okay, that you know maybe the impregnation did happen here, and maybe it is in our jurisdiction. So then they go ahead and start with the investigating. But I wanted to make a quick note. Um, we get revealed what mission work they're doing yeah. in New York yeah, yeah, yeah. City. I wrote this oh, in my yeah. notes too. I, <laughs> they're cleaning up and... graffiti. They're painting over graffiti. <laughs> that that joke is incredible, though. That's like, at, you know, they're, it's the perfect level of ridicule because it is exactly like, I don't know, especially in the, the wake of the 2020 protests, like it wasn't unheard of, of like evangelical and evangelical coded groups, like going and cleaning up CVSs and stuff. Yeah. Like trying to scrub just off the most, a cab from a wall. You right. Know, just the like most that. consumer yeah. cucked behavior. Right. Like <laughs> and it, I, I just, I love that. It's like, yeah, that's the kind of type of fucks these are <laughs> even you, you in the law tell. and order episode. You can tell the writer's room, it's like, it's mostly people who aren't super familiar with evangelicalism. They just did their bare minimum research to write this episode. But then there's like one evangelical guy in there who wrote that (laughs) joke. 
Like that's, yep. that to me is like how that <laughs> came off because that was like you know, a really right, astute it's like, joke. Oh yeah. And then they'll, they'll talk about it. Like, you know, they'll, uh, the way they'll talk about it is like, oh, we went and did some service work in the city and really just ministered. And it like, ministered yeah, it is painting over graffiti. <laughs> Um, notably around this scene also though the parents are refusing to let the cops talk to the daughter so this is like a big big thing as well as they are like refusing to you know uh, they're like in let without the parents present which you know again is not going to really help when the accusation is potentially you know incestuous something or you know a a uh environment where a daughter should not be having sex at such a young age like it's completely unacceptable and so of course she's not going to be honest if her parents are in the room um but the parents are you know trying to maintain that control well and this is this is the first and last time i will defend the parents on this show is the parents are kind of right to not want their child alone with the police because the first thing mm-hmm. that happens when Olivia Benson gets slain alone is she manipulates and lies to her. It's just like, I, I don't know, I feel so icky about it. Like, I get that she's doing it to catch the criminal, but, like, she tells Lane, she sits her down, and, you know, Lane is like, oh, you know, uh, God blessed me with this baby. You know, I'm happy about this baby. We're in love. And, you know, everything's good. I'm not abused. And Olivia's like, yeah, no, you're abused. Um, but but don't worry. Um, since since it's love, um, he won't get in trouble for it. And you just tell me who he is, and I promise he won't get in trouble, sweetie. I believe you that you're in love. And so she gets yeah, her to name fair. someone, which I mean she ends up naming the cameraman from the reality show. Um, so they they then go investigate the cameraman who <laughs> Is played by uh, Chris the, Elliott. <laughs> Chris Elliott, the actor uh, who plays uh, Mayor Roland in Shit's Creek. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I could not unsee that when he showed up. Like literally, the first moment there that like the pervert camera guy gets showed, and it's and it's fucking Chris Elliott. I laughed so hard at that casting choice. Yeah, because uh, like when that season came out, I think that is like before Shit's Creek mania really hit America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it I hadn't f- really like it was a known quantity in Canada for uh, or it had just started, but yeah, mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't the jugger the cultural juggernaut it is today. Yep, uh, I just um, I just well deserved so- uh, late career success for everybody involved though. So yeah, um, yeah, very yeah. A pretty pretty funny show, pretty funny, show. pretty funny show. Um, yeah, it. Um, one thing I did want to throw out there with the whole, like, at the police station with all the kids uh, thing that happens, though, where they're talking to the kids, um, bef- is that it did have an interesting job showing all of the kids self-policing, which is, you know, something I talk about a bunch about evangelicalism and, you know, on Fruitless, but, like, all the kids self-police themselves. So, like, for instance, the reason she doesn't want to uh, say who uh, who slept with her or who, who uh, raped her um is that she had promised not to and she was and she promised to god and so she's like t- enforcing that on herself that she has to maintain that promise but then more than that just like the small things throughout it is like all the kids refusing soda whenever the like cops try to offer them a soda or something while they're waiting around like they're all like we're not allowed to do that and kind of just like you know as opposed to like 
I think any other normal kid, even if they weren't allowed to it, if they were had a cop offering them a soda, they'd be like, fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we get sodas? Hell yeah. Free yeah, soda? Yeah, most, most, if you're in any situation where you can kind of, you can, you can bend the rules a little bit, have some junk food if you're a kid, yeah, of course you are. But it shows that there's something fundamentally different about their psyche, I think. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so returning back to the cameraman, of course, Chris, Chris Elliott, he's the suspect, but, um, they, he ends up, oh God, God they, they go to him and they're like, you raped this little girl. You're disgusting. And he's like, oh my God, she's pregnant. Great news. And they're like, why is that fucking great news? That's disgusting. There's a 13 year old pregnant. And he's like, well, I've had a vasectomy, so it couldn't have been me. And I'll submit to a DNA test. And they're yeah. like, oh, shit, this is probably not the guy. Um, Although they still get him on these child pornography charges because oh, he's yeah. filming everything as a good reality TV show's cameraman will. However, that included, like, the teenage girls undressing and shit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like he quite gets off scot-free here. Yeah, uh, they do get him on that. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he is a creep. Um but he didn't he didn't impregnate the girl Lane. Um so the police are like, "Okay, well let's go get a DNA test on Lane's baby and, you know, let's at least get that out of the way." Um but the parents refuse it. They're like, "We don't believe in that. You can't do anything to jeopardize the baby's life." And they're refusing to cooperate with this this part of the investigation. Um, so the um, detect detectives are pretty frustrated. Um, so they go on to do more detective work. And Rollins discovers footage of the oldest brother, Graham, um, who is the Josh Duggar stand-in character. Um, Footage of him assaulting and groping his sisters and sisters' friends and babysitters and, you know, just groping young girls um, that that got edited out of the TV show. Um, so they they take a look at that. And so um, similar to Josh Duggar, the yeah. Graham gets sent away to a reform camp um, in Canada. And righteous path. Yeah. Righteous righteous path camp um have him uh hang in drywall for six months <laughs> that's true uh, to rehabilitate that'll, that'll, everyone yeah. yeah yeah that'll that'll cure him that'll fix him <laughs> learn a trade yeah, that'll son. fix it that'll that'll sort your head out kid no we're not paying you <laughs> so they they interview the judge who sent him to this camp and they were like you know tell us about him and um he was like well i didn't do i wasn't doing it as a judge i was doing it as a church leader mm -hmm. and it was just it seemed like such a cop-out um because well he yeah and that refused the, and that to have the... any have it on public record or you know, whatever. Which I think lines up mostly with like kind of how this played out too. It's like the the Duggars like really ended up with a weird relationship with the police department in the small town they were in, and you know, and that's mostly replicated 
um oh. in this however they they fucking Ooh. still defend the cops in this and i really didn't like it i know yeah, because like well yeah because the real story is insane the real story is like they 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 bring him so they have a state trooper friend a friend of the family who is a state trooper they go mm-hmm. to him on a casual basis and say give our son a talking to uh, so this state trooper friend gives Josh a talking to. They do the labor camp thing. Turns out this state trooper guy years later gets busted for child porn too. Yeah. Great. Great. Yep. It's one of so, those. The entire like Duggar narrative is there's wild. part of it where while I do have critiques for how they went about this, I don't envy the writers' room trying to fictionalize this because how the fuck do you make take it more something crazy. like that? Yeah. Yeah, oh, I, I, yeah, because it's, it's right. Because even it, like it's, if you were to replicate every detail of the actual case and not kind of have it play out in the TV, like it just doesn't work as TV anymore. It's gonna come off as like too mean spirited. Like even us, even somebody who hates evangelicals would watch it and be like, "Well, that's punching below the belt a little bit." By just depicting what actually happened, you would right, think that right. it was an exaggeration <laughs> rather than how it's it actually like, played wow, out. Yeah. There's a lot of pedophiles involved. Why are there so many pedophiles involved? <laughs> many people are asking this question. Many people are asking this. So how it defends the small town police department, yeah. though, I hate this. I think if this was a better written episode, this would not be how this played out. So after they're leaving the town, they get pulled over. Um, yeah, Finn and Carisi. Finn and Carisi. Do, do you want to say what happens real quick oh yeah just finn and creasy get pulled over by a local cop who's like gentlemen you've been speeding in my town and he's like you know well seeing as your your fellow officers i'll i'll let you off with a warning and he passes them a note very suspiciously as there's a guy driving by and he you know nods at him and it's it's very ominous uh and they take a look at the note they're handed, and it is the <clears throat> the juvenile records for the young boy Graham, and they find that he has records for forcible touching of his sisters. Mm-hmm. So this like tries to save the small town police department. Now, before they get handed that, the original feeling it seems like what's happening that both Finn and Carisi seem to think is happening is that they're getting intimidated by the small town cops. Mm-hmm. And that's how I wish it was, because I think that would be better. I think that would have been better at communicating that this family has political connections and that they've taken over this town. But it didn't do that. Instead, it had to make this like, oh, there's a couple rogue cops below the judge who, you know, like the judge might be corrupt. But these these cops, you know, they're still fighting for what's right out here as opposed to what actually happened, which is, yeah, the the child porn state trooper is the guy who they had taking care of it in the real world. Um I would have much rather liked it if it had kind of a weird uh, small town cops are, are, you know, saying you want to get off this case, man. You know, like that kind of ominous, eerie thing. I think that would be Rather than like, right, you kind of want to have them like, even the good cops are too nervous to actually do anything because of how. Yeah, that would have been way better. Yeah. Sorry. It's like, watch out. Look out for the child born state trooper. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! Hopefully, this is not a character that recurs. <laughs> it is. Oh, it shit. is. Let's go. Ahead. It's this the is a child new, board state trooper. This is a new good apples character. I'm sorry. I, I <laughs> no, we're no, first t-shirt. First t-shirt. No, child no, 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 no,
<laughs> However, I do think I do think that if as we keep digging into the real life stories that these episodes get based off of, I don't think that this archetype is going to be. Oh no! I think yeah, this archetype's going to law enforcement here. official who also uh, possesses uh, child pornography is is yeah, like a I thing. Yeah. It's a frequent. Yeah. If you look up uh, news articles of criminal cops, it's a frequent uh, happening that there's a lot of cops yep. that are in possession of that. It's, it happens quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, I'm drafting up a T-shirt right now that says WWJDD. What would Josh Duggar do? <laughs> oh my no, god! No, shit. No, no. So are we? Holy just, shit! Oh my god! We're uh, it's it's a uh, man. We're bringing the t-shirt hell aesthetic back. If you want, if you want like a glimpse at, well, I mean, I guess I don't know what the current edge lords are into anymore. But t-shirthell.com was definitely like my generation of edge lords. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it'd be like, yeah, like the a perfect recreation of the Skittles logo, but it would say shittles or uh, I don't know, just more like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rape and pedophilia jokes because that's what we all thought that's was hilarious. Super back hilarious, then. yeah, yeah. Um, is this For this been... episode, we can make a T-shirt with a uh, with just a quiver of arrows. WWJDD. Pulling us back to the episode here, is this when Rollins realizes this like weird past pregnancy that doesn't make sense? Is this when that pops? Oh, up? well, no, well, not yet. So they. Okay, okay. They first, you know, they're uncovering all this stuff about the older brother, Graham, and the parents catch wind of this, of course, because they're fucking connected. And they catch wind that people are asking about the older brother, Graham. So the parents are like, hey, you better get the fuck out of town. They send him to Ecuador for mission work. And, um, you know, the police are like, yeah, why, why did you do that? We <laughs> needed to question him. Um, and then... Then this is when Detective Rollins starts uh, investigating and she's like, you know, what's really weird is that for every pregnancy throughout the show, they had really detailed episodes depicting the pregnancy and, you know, they were along for the whole journey and they were there for the birth and um, all of this. But for the youngest child, the most recent one, they didn't announce she was pregnant until she was like seven and a half months and there was even a photo released of her looking very not pregnant this um, this has one of my favorite interactions of this episode too carisi is one of my favorite characters of the later seasons <laughs> he's so because he's such a funny loudmouth italian and <laughs> he just like go he looks at the picture he goes well that doesn't look pregnant amanda when you were that pregnant and then everyone goes stop <laughs> <laughs> Just like about to be like, well, you look like a beached whale then. <laughs> He's funny. He is so funny. We'll have to do an episode on Carisi sometime. Just on Carisi. I would love he it. He is yeah, just yeah. such a fun guy. You know, the th- the later seasons as uh, the the characters are a lot less uh, dynamic, but man, Carisi is up there, my yeah. favorite of like the new the later season characters after we get out of the, the Stabler and Benson era. Yeah, Carisi and then Amanda Rollins. I, I really like both of them. I, I am always entertained yeah, by yeah. Their, their... Yeah, and this this episode is post-Stabler and post-Amaro. 
So we lose out on our two two strong Catholic figures. Mas- our, our masculine figures in the show. Car- Carisi is, uh, is so Catholic he makes up for both of them. Uh, <laughs> it's like, right, we're we're in like Law and Order's God is Dead era. <laughs> De- Death of God SVU era. Oh, there's Death of there. Stabler. Yeah, Death of the, Stabler, yeah. Yeah, the uh the, the the spiritual figurehead has departed. What what will they do now? Uh now, you need so to because, get someone who 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 would make any any Italian from Jersey feel <laughs> inadequate in his in both his Italianness and his sheer sheer Catholic religiosity. Oh man! So okay, so let's see. So because of this mysterious pregnancy, they get a sneaky suspicion that uh, that this this youngest one Tate was actually the child of one of the older daughters not yeah of, summer yes not of you know uh the actual i don't remember who the, the mom the mom yeah i don't remember they, they thought it was one of the older daughters that had the baby and they covered up the pregnancy by saying it was the mom's so, and so they so they can and so they can do a dna test with this one even because yes. the parents are refusing to let it happen with the pregnant daughter but with, with this baby. kid if yeah. they're right they could maybe <laughs> prove something was going wrong and the way they get the dna is so funny because they're just like such an asshole to crazy even though he's totally <laughs> saving the case he's like oh yeah i was totally holding that toddler earlier and he drooled all over my fucking jacket so we've got his dna guys <laughs> and they're like oh gross you didn't take it to the dry cleaners and he's like well it's a good thing i didn't <laughs> <laughs> and so they're able to get baby saliva off of his jacket to run his dna and when they do run his DNA, um, they find out that uh, the mother is indeed not the mother. Um, so it the, the mother was the grandmother. And so it had to have been one of the young girls who gave birth. So they find that out. But they also find out that Graham is not the father. Mm-hmm. And that the, the father is not related to, uh, again, I don't remember the names, but the Jim Bob stand-in. Not related yeah. to the dad at all. So this isn't an incest thing. Phew. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Glad it got uh, less weird. Yeah. Around this time, uh, Amanda, like Amanda Rollins throughout her like pregnancy arc just kind of ends up in the hospital like once an episode, basically. <laughs> so she has a brief little stint going to the hospital. The only reason I brought this up is just because of us talking about Carisi's Catholicism. Uh, he just gets really Catholic and Italian on her for a second. Is like, I know you're going to be okay because my mom lit a kid little candle for you, so it's yeah. going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. I love that character so much. <laughs> he's uh, he's very funny. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, let's see. After the little hospital thing for the person story, have Rollins and. Uh... Rollins and Carisi just have this long, slow burn romance in the show. Mm. It's just, like, honestly frustrating (laughs) to watch. He's, like, always showing up for her, like, when she's pregnant in the hospital and is, like, the only person doing so. And it's just, like, very clear they have a special relationship and it takes, like, fucking, like, ten seasons to actually develop into a relationship, so... It's ridiculous, but um, this is the early, early depictions of it. Um, 
Yeah, so the DNA um, proves that the pastor is the father. Yep. Yep. So this this pastor who's been showing up, I guess we didn't even really we haven't really mentioned him we, because we, again he, we didn't mention he's their pastor and their lawyer. Yeah. Oh man. Oh yeah. Is a is <laughs> yeah, a, good, so a good oh. gesture at the kind of shit that was going on in the oh, in man. the in that world. Like yeah. pastor pastor lawyer always demonic. Never a good guy. <laughs> Probably the worst combination of things. The moment that he he came in with his with his collar that's... and then gave gave his, oh, that's... his legal card like oh fuck okay no that is that is cult leader starter pack right there. Yeah. Like, oh, that guy is that's guy that guy's buying some land and collecting babies and guns. <laughs> Um, yeah, so he's been just there through all this, but like, you know, just for moral support, but being like just a real slimy dude, um, it turns out, yeah, whatever he he's, he's the father. And so this, this is like, this cracks things open pretty much immediately. And so then they come in and wow, probably one of the wildest scenes of this, this, this uh, episode. Yeah. The, uh, the denouement, uh, yeah. incredible. I'll, I'll get mad props uh yeah well i'm very yeah Yeah. i'm very angry at this how the scene resolves but like uh the setup is incredible yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so they they, uh yeah go go ahead no no you go they show lane and pastor eldon hand in hand getting married so it's kind of like a flashback to the beginning of the episode where we see lane joined with hands with a much older man and yeah. in in this kind of commitment um in front of a judge and um they're getting married and the parents are right there like you know happy as can be cheering on their their daughter's wedding and um you know it's 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 a what the fuck creepy like you just feel grossed out watching the scene because mm-hmm. she had just freshly turned 14 which you know again made it legal th- this is the kind of stuff I like about SVU is yes, it's all so much cop apologia, but they do have that social liberal side that essential that comes out occasionally and makes good jabs. And one of them is, Hey, did you know this is fucking legal in like a lot of States? Like as long as there's parents permission, a 14 year old can marry like a 30 year old man that's allowed in this country. <laughs> and yep. so the, the detectives kind of burst in and they're like, you know, what the fuck? We're stopping this. And, you know, the parents are like, no, it's okay. This is awesome. He's going to be our son-in-law and he's great. And, you and then know, they're, they're all, they're naive. They're, they're naive. Cause they're like, you know, and this is where this starts getting bad. I think is that trying to frame the parents as being more naive than, you know, they actually were, you know, the actual buggers were, but they're like, Oh, he's not going to actually like have sex with her. Like, yeah, they're like, he'll, he'll it's just a name. He's just it's doing just it to name. support her. They yeah, they say he's going to be like a, he's going to be like a father to her. It, it's, this is a good thing. And, you know, help it, raise the baby. He, yeah, yeah. He's going to, and this is something that the pastor says, but the baby's going to be born in, is going to be born in wedlock. There, he won't be a bastard. He won't be, <laughs> there, there's a lot of, um, as much as, uh, we'll discuss it later, the, the issues, I, it is, nice that they did include that if it did turn out that the pastor was also the rapist in this case this would have been legal to do in their state and that's fucking nuts 
Yeah, and so like I don't I don't think that the show completely lets the parents off scot free here because I mean it does. So they okay. I I don't think that we completely said this, but to clarify, you know they thought that Tate's birth. Wait, Tate, the the young child that they were able to do the DNA test until they did the DNA yeah, test. Tate. The 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 parents did think that that Graham that it was Graham, Josh, their older brother. Yeah, that it, that that was an incest baby, and they did cover it up. So they yeah. thought they were doing that. Um, so I don't think the episode fully lets them off scot-free because there's a bunch of stuff that comes out that's like, even if it, you know, if it didn't end up the way that this episode ends, the, the you know, the family still had plenty of mistakes that were made. Um, yeah, yeah. That it does point to. But it does. Here we go. The wish fulfillment, the fantasy, it's here. So yeah. Because the cops, the, it's the uh, mom. It's the mom is our wish fulfillment wish fulfillment mm -hmm. is i don't know there's just something about instances of child abuse that really create a yearning for like protection by the mother um wanting, and and wanting someone to just lash out you know yes, like the whole time and i watched shiny defense ha and protection of you the, know the whole time i watched shiny happy people i just really wanted somebody to just stab bill gothard like that just it, it's in your you're just like how are they getting away with this? Somebody needs to say fucking something, you know? So of course we're all feeling that way. And then of course the, the, the mother gets to serve that role in this episode for us. Yes. Is she, when the detectives are like, Hey, uh, you know that the fucking pastor's DNA matches your son Tate and probably the fetus of Lane. And she's like, what? I had no idea. And then she gets really mad at the pasture and she is fiery and she yells and she even says the word damn. And she Gasp. goes off on him and she's like, how dare you? And it is so crazy, so crazy to see that scene because it's so satisfying when you're watching the Law and Order episode. You're like, yes, she's sticking if up. You don't the know lane. the backstory. It's very yeah. satisfying. It is, yeah. it, it, but yes. It is yeah. such a dramatic difference from the real world Michelle Duggar, who is, whose whole thing is that she's so soft spoken and she's so sweet and calm. And it's, she would never yell and stand up for her daughter the way that, um, the way that it's depicted in this show. Well, and, and she is depicted that way kind of in the show until this moment. It's like her facade breaks. But the thing is, the stuff that came out with the Duggars, Michelle never broke. She didn't lash out. She didn't explode like this. She still is very committed to this belief system, and mm -hmm. she still defends her son. Like, let's be honest. That's what's happened. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. So I think it's like this. So, I mean, this is kind of where we hit the, like, the liberal fantasy that that pisses us off because like the way this scene goes down is the police explaining the actual situation presenting the dna evidence and then like the the horrifying truth causing the michelle duggar stand-in to break and to rebuke the belief system to rebuke the pastor for you know um taking advantage of their trust so it's like oh the you know while, while we have seen enough that's like oh they've clearly done some uh covered some stuff up in order to protect their their uh children their their children their business interests you know what have you it's like well they're still they're still rubes downstream of this like true monster pulling all the strings which isn't isn't 
inaccurate, but it fails to understand how complicit and willing Michelle and Jim Bob are in the whole arrangement. Yeah, because this guy is kind of this pastor ends up being kind of a Bill Gothard stand in for the show, I think a little bit, a little but bit. He's, he's younger and he's more like the cool hip young Bill Gothard, but he's, you know, he's kind of the Bill Gothard stand in. But the reality, like, but <sighs> Bill Gothard is not responsible for every decision the Duggars made. He gave them an ideology, sure, but they took that ideology and made decisions with it and lived it out. And that's on them. You know, like, it's not just the pastor manipulating them. You know, they they chose to do this. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's like there is there is no acknowledgement of like their their complicity in producing Josh Duggar. Mm-hmm. you know the the complicity of these of these parents in producing the the Josh Duggars that that seem to prolif- prolif- proliferate proliferate mm-hmm. <laughs> in in this uh in this organization or this you know network of organizations as it is um mm-hmm. I don't know yeah and it's just like yeah, it's it, it's not that they're not aware of it. It's not it's not that they're being duped wholesale. It's like uh I mean going back to the Tad Delay interview, going back to against, it's like no, all of the shit is on purpose and it provides people with enjoyment. It's like the reason they're doing this is because Jim Bob in some way gets off on wielding this amount of power over his family. For uh, anyone who's just a good Apples listener, uh, Josh and I interviewed the psychoanalyst Tad Delay about his book Against, which is about white evangelicalism. That's what we're referencing here real quick. But yeah, and that's exactly what Delay's thesis is and I think is pretty accurate is there is a degree that Jim Bob enjoys this inner turmoil that comes out of this, this, uh, you know, fucked up situation. And um. Yeah, I, I just yeah, he, don't he think pressed, the show can rapple that. Yeah, yeah he pre- you know, because it's like he's he's the patriarch, he's the protagonist of the Duggar family's reality. Like, you know, this this isn't his son's problem. This is a tr- this is a trial for Jim Bob. This is this is a test of Jim mm-hmm. Bob's strength. You know, mm-hmm. it's not ready to hand off to Josh, but so he's still entitled to his 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 Senate seat or whatever. Even though, mm-hmm. like, you know. His offspring, his monstrous offspring, is being convicted for, let's be clear, some of the worst images of child sexual abuse ever produced and circulated. Yes, yes. That's, I mean, I, th- I think that's a, that's a thing we, we kind of glossed over here, but it's like, I can't even believe I'm about to say this sentence. It's not just that it was child pornography. <laughs> it's, it's that it was... The Interpol agents who looked over the stuff that was on Josh Duggar's hard drive made the comment that it was the worst stuff they had ever seen. Like a guy whose job it is to go over these kinds of materials said this it is was, the worst he'd ever it seen. Was, it was legally classified as torture. Yes. Porn. Yes. Um, actually, one of them being a screenshot or a, a, a video that the a screenshot of was posted on Twitter a few months back uh by a conservative guy by the way just a fun little fact that was the same fucking video so anyway also uh, let him back on twitter too another another fun fact of that entire situation yeah so that was was personally come out this summer 
interesting that happened this summer uh Uh, yeah (laughs) elon also not a guy who seems overly invested in being a a being fruitful and multiplying and uh uh, embodying a sort of uh dominant patriarch anyway um (laughs) so yeah uh like so good law and order episode somehow fails to miss how like like underestimate how truly twisted all this shit actually was that being said there's a final final line from benson that i i think was good and i appreciate them for putting this in which is benson essentially just looks at the camera at the end it's like very (laughs) much clear she goes most rapists don't hunt on the streets they hunt where they're trusted and i i appreciated that being thrown in there because that's a that is a reminder that i think people do need frequently is that the majority of like sexual abuse that takes place is from relatives and from people that the victim knew it is not the grand majority of of rapes are not some creepy guy on the street you know now that not that that doesn't happen but it isn't often some stranger grabs a random woman it is often somebody who's trusted in the community and that's how they get away with it yep uh I don't know. I think it's uh, so it's not coincidental, probably like as we're seeing, you know, more more abuse being, you know, brought to light in the Catholic Church. I think the big scandal of the past few years really truly is the Southern Baptist Convention and how widespread it is in there. Uh, I mean, you know, we're seeing with IBLP. So it's like we're getting kind of a sense that these yeah fundamentalist expressions of christianity these uh you know higher control versions of it and i i think it's just a lot more widespread in the main of these of these institutions uh i mean again with like evangelical protestantism it's it's more like an interconnected network of various loose affiliate organizations and a lot of independent churches so it's like it's hard to pin you know they don't have the strict hierarchy um or at least level of organization that at least in their organizations that uh, that the Catholic Church does. It is much more of a, I think, a franchise model. And I think it's no coincidence that a lot of the men that hold power in these organizations are also like, you know, small businessmen. Like that's that's kind of the <laughs> the the level uh, of of person that's heavily involved in a lot of these these organizations. So anyway, we're hitting an era where a lot of this stuff is coming to light because it just hasn't been brought out before. Uh, so it's no coincidence that they're, you know, I think we're, we're seeing the tension that's being expressed and why they are, they're becoming more devoted to Trump and being more concerned with, you know, making monsters out of drag Queens and trying to claim that there is, you know, like liberals have this massive, uh, child eating conspiracy that's coming to attack them when it's like, uh, to invoke the cliche, the call is coming from inside the house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Josh and I have been talking a lot. Do you guys want to add stuff here? Cause we're kind of getting toward the end here. I think, uh, do you want to go first? Camera? Uh, sure. I was going to mention, um, something we didn't mention about this episode was this was the first episode for, um, the introduction of detective Dodds who is the son of the 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 chief yeah Yeah. um he comes in as the new sergeant of svu and he is very skeptical of 
pursuing this case the whole time. He is like, you got to pick your battles and fighting with Christians isn't one of them. And he's just like, he does not want to pursue this case at all. And he, he kind of says at the end of the episode, he's like, you know, I just, I thought I would be busy. I would be busy getting rapists off the streets, but instead I'm getting them out of the churches. Mm-hmm. And, it's and, that, like, and that's where uh, Benson's line comes in there that I had read. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. And she says, you know, uh, well, they don't hunt on the streets. They hunt where they're trusted. Mm-hmm. And, well, and it, yeah, it has kind of an interesting gesture with that too, because because um, uh, this that character Dodds is the one who brings up the the Hasids and some of the issues that have that have come out with that from like a more Jewish context of some of this stuff, um, which I don't think any of the four of us feel confident enough to say anything about. But it, it yeah, it was interesting that he was comparing it to other forms of fundamentalism. Uh, Jackal, did you have anything you wanted to add here? Um. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't, I, I, I will not uh, speak for the Hasidic Jewish community, uh, but I will say that that uh, there was, I do remember when when Dobbs brought up that, that was something that I, I remember growing up hearing a lot about, was whenever those controversies would sort of pop up around any kind of insular religious community. Um, it happened with the fundamentalist Mormons. It happens with a bunch of different um, different communities. It's just that in New York, uh, uh, the Hasidic Jewish population is you know our largest insular religious community. So that one was kind of interesting as a callback to something that was really bigger in the early two thousands. But uh, yeah, I I mean yes, this was a good episode of of SVU in. In as far as, you know, the more of these later seasons that we cover, the more that we notice that there is kind of a drop in visual quality of how the show's identity originally looked, how some of the newer characters feel like they're kind of lacking some of those really interesting character traits and dynamics that were so prominent in the earlier seasons. But it it is good. I guess that just for me, because I watched this episode uh, after binging the shiny happy people documentary with having and also watching another documentary on the Duggars, my brain was was flooded with the information around how this case occurred and then watching the fictionalized portrayal in svu it feels in my opinion it, it kind of feels like they they missed the point and that's why i wanted to talk to to mention the quiverful movement beforehand mm-hmm. because it feels like when you individualize this you're taking away the harm that that was that jim bob and these other figures here and the ideology did and it feels like when you take that out and you just have that no they were just dumb and it was because of this one bad guy otherwise and while you know they were making excuses they they were just doing what was best for the family and now that we know it's not inside the family then we can handle it, it feels like while those under those <clears throat> those undercurrents of critique are there it kind of feels i don't know like it's not enough considering what this is based on and what they're pulling yeah. from yeah absolutely um which i think hey. is a, in, in general kind of a kind of what the show is doing because i think in general with us doing this approach where we try to actually understand the stories that when an episode's based on something real what actually happened the reality is, is we, we end up very uncomfortable with the SVU episode, even if it comes out as great television, because the reality is, is, is they have a they have an ideology 
law, law and order has an ideology and it will adjust the real story to fit that ideology. There are three things I think that I was thinking after watching the episode that after having done the past couple episodes about earlier episodes of law and order and kind of just comparing them um there were three things that i think this episode would have been made better by and it's if they had elliot stabler john mm -hmm. munch and agent wong in this episode yes because um yes. a couple of things first elliot stabler would be the perfect stand-in for what a healthy relationship between a father and daughter looks like uh-huh and being being from a very faithful faith based background, um, so that would have been interesting. And he's always like just great at being the aggressive defender of children. Yeah, it would have been so, nice to have him get mad. So, uh, uh, <laughs> in this episode, uh, so I mean, should we start writing like Law and Order fan fiction also? <laughs> Like, okay, here's how I would write. What if Stabler <laughs> stuck with the show? I mean, I don't because yeah, like, I'm, I don't know. Uh, uh, but keep going, Chimera. Uh, what was the other one? Um, John Munch is his whole. He loves like conspiracy shit, talking about cult like things. He's really interested in ideologies. The, inter the interconnectedness politically of all sorts of different groups would have been really oh. fucking helpful to have yes. that character belting that shit out every once in a yeah. while. Yes, because he <laughs> totally would have been if he was in that episode, he would have been like well, you know, there's this guy Bill Gothard, eh? And, yep. you know, like he would just be there to give us all this information um, and, and kind of contextualizing it. So I think yes, Munch yes, would have been perfect for, yep. for this. Um, and then the other one was Agent Wong. And yes. I think that, oh my gosh, I'm still so frustrated with the show. I, I've never forgiven the show for, giving, for getting yeah. rid of Agent Wong and not replacing him. Like, he is there to do the psychoanalytic um, focus. And, and, and you need you need that. And <laughs> if you're talking about violent and sexual crimes, like, you need some psychoanalysis there. And they they get rid of that character. And I think that would have been really useful because this episode, although it gets a lot of the facts right um, in comparison to the Duggar um, scandal, but it doesn't really touch on the ideology a lot. Yeah. Because I, the shiny happy people docuseries really emphasizes how the ideology of the IBLP, ATI, and Bill Gothard um shaped young girls into being the perfect victims for their abusers mm -hmm. and um this episode didn't really show how the way that they grew up contributed to her victimization yeah it gestures at it when they interview her, when they they are questioning her and she's like not wanting to say things because she doesn't want to break a promise to god and stuff like that but mm -hmm. if wong had been there he could have been like pointing out all the incestuous aspects of the the environment that creates this kind of environment josh it looks you looked like you were about to say something there oh um yeah yeah a couple things like i so i i wonder if there there does exist somebody's like draft teleplay that's like let me let me correct all the errors in this episode and like bring my favorite <laughs> characters back in because like 
as like yeah you just bringing up like how having those three characters specifically because i think in the the next episode we're you know <laughs> whew, yeah there's no man behind this curtain uh the next episode <laughs> we're recording like is specifically just on kind of like basking in how fucking good this show can be um, yes. as yes. television um like i think those things you brought up are very are like very present and central to the drama of these two ne- two episodes that will be in the next episode. Uh, but just how much better this episode could have been if like they really stuck to the facts of the case and had those characters involved, like that would be an incredible hour of television. Yeah. Or uh, yeah. at the very least, well, that, I think that a lot of the characters I, I mean, that's that probably do a exist. true detective episode. Yeah. It's a true detective episode at that point. Yeah. I think a lot of these, <laughs> a lot of this could have also been fixed though, by trying to keep, See see what those three characters provided and try to have the other characters that have filled in take on those roles. So, like, I don't know. I, I don't know who could be the Wong. I think in reality, they just need another psychologist. That's the only way to replicate Wong. But, like, okay, Stabler, make Carisi or or Finn a little more, like, aggressive through this episode and, and, and you know, bursting, having, uh, like, angry outbursts would have added to it. And you know maybe That's you know emphasis. They, they really kind passive of passive in this episode. Yeah, I don't like that from how he's usually characterized. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't like that. And then like uh, you know, same thing with Munch is like I don't know. You could have made I think Carisi could have been real. It could be really funny if Carisi was also just a guy that knew way too much about like like history or something. Like I so, like one of those characters. You could kind of try to insert what Munch did into them. I don't know who. I think the closest thing we get is like. Rollins being a reality TV addict was like, I think the only, the closest thing we get to somebody who like has this knowledge base that they're pulling from, but like really they need one of these characters needs to be, if not munch, like somebody who, who gets like a sense of interconnectedness of all these stories. So it's missing. Like, so what's really missing from these later seasons is like, yeah, the, a bit of, a bit of, uh, like good patriarchal soul and also some uh brain power some brain power yeah yeah because they're Um, all just kind of like cops now yeah yeah like all they like all they like is cop shit they don't really have lives outside of cop stuff yeah, except for this Rollins. Be, uh, or, oh, right, Rollins. right. <laughs> yeah. Rollins has the wildest it's like, family right, invasion got, of the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's cop shit and complicated family situations, so they don't yes. really get to have personalities outside of those two roles, unfortunately. Uh, this will be a, a take that I imagine we all come back to every time we go and cover a later season episode is man there's a lot of like key roles that it feels that this show was founded on from the very first episode that when it's not there it really feels like a presence is missing well i think the i think that that's a a pretty good way to wrap this up here because we we do have to try to record another episode in this (laughs) day we we record two episodes every every time we get together to record so uh yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) we probably should wrap up so that we have time to to do the next one um yeah any any other final things that you guys really want to get in as we're closing the door here this is this is kind of a non sequitur but uh something that popped in my you know what no like we've we've covered enough of the upsetting shit i don't need to focus on a detail of it it's an off mic conversation all right Uh. (laughs) all right
Well, thank you everybody for listening to this. This is uh this has been a fun episode. I uh I well, it's been a depressing episode too, but it's uh it's been a good time. Good time to go through this stuff. Um yeah. So uh I how do we do, how do we sign out again? Uh I'm Josiah Sutton. You can follow me at Josiah W. Sutton on Twitter.com if it still exists by the time this episode comes out. <laughs> Who fucking knows? Uh whatever. Um and I've been joined by some lovely co hosts. I've been joined by Chimera. Hi, I'm Kamara. Um, it was good speaking with you all. Um, you can find me at Twitter uh, at Colliteris444. Josh Christensen. Hey, everybody. Uh, I unlocked my Instagram account, so I'm partially online, uh, though wow. I'm ambivalent about Instagram being that choice. Uh just at Noam Chamsky, same as my, you know, now now defunct Twitter account. Uh, if I'm, I'm assuming most of the people that listen to this are familiar. Uh, <laughs> what's up, everybody? <laughs> and last but certainly not least, Jackal. Hello, hello, everybody. I have been Jackal. It has been lovely having you with us for this. Uh, I'm pretty depressing. Uh, trip through the absolute hellscape that is evangelical Christianity and uh, late period law and order. That's right. Uh, you can't find me anywhere. I've locked my my uh, my Twitter account, and I'm not going to give up my blue sky. I am I am doing a Josh. I'm going <laughs> off the the internet grid. Don't look for That's me. Right. We love a little mystery. We love a little mystery. Jackal's the most mysterious of the four of us. Whenever we do our, we all have our video on when we record, except for Jackal. I'm not even making that up. That's like that's that's how mysterious he is. The only reason why <laughs> Josiah and Kelly, uh, oh my god, cut that out. <clears throat> the only reason why Josiah and and Chimera know what I look like is because they've met me in person. Yes, in the real world, <laughs> and eaten burgers with. Yes, really good around. burgers and and, and observed art. The, uh, yeah, walked around the Minneapolis Institute of Art is a is a wonderful wonderful time. But um, anyway, yeah, uh, that's it. Uh, what was it? what's our sign out? Done, done. Is that what we're doing? Done, 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 done. done. Thank you so much for listening to The Good Apples. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe Same. and leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts. It helps with the algorithm. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at GoodApplesPod. You can email us at TheGoodApplesPod at gmail.com, and we might read it on the show. Hey, hope you enjoyed, and you have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye.